And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ. And comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Honey Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, it's one of the best episodes from the Escape series, Three Skeleton Keys, starring Vincent Price from 1950. Then Lucille Ball and Richard Denning star as Liz and George Cooper on a Halloween episode of My Favorite Husband from 1949. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. And look who's over there. It's Mikey. Mike hey, Costella is here as well, our executive yep. producer. And we have quite a great lineup for this week's Hollywood 360 shows. I'm telling you folks, you're going to love it. We're going to start things off with literally one of the greatest radio shows ever broadcast on Escape. You know, Escape was a, a terrific series of high adventure and mystery. It came to radio for seven seasons beginning in 1947. Had all kinds of great uh, supporting actors on it, but every once in a while, they would have a big name movie star. And on this particular episode, called Three Skeleton Key, they brought in Vincent Price to star in the story. And people remember this story. It was about three men trapped in a lighthouse being invaded by man-eating rats. This is a terrific broadcast from March 17, 1950. Here's part one now of Escape. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape! Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to a lonely lighthouse off the steaming jungle coast of French Guiana and a nightmare world of terror and violence. As we bring you again in response to hundreds of requests, Three Skeleton Key, starring Vincent Price. Picture this place. A gray tapering cylinder welded by iron rods and concrete to the key itself. A bare black rock, 150 feet long, maybe 40 wide. That's at low tide. At high tide, just the lighthouse rising 110 feet straight up out of the ocean. And all about it, the churning water, gray-green scum dappled warm as soup, and swarming with gigantic bat-like devilfish, great violet schools of Portuguese man-of-war, and yes, sharks, the big ones, the 15-footers. 
And as if this weren't enough, there was a hot, dank, rotten-smelling wind that came at us day and night off the jungle swamps of the mainland. A wind that smelled like death. A wind that had smelled the slow and frightful death that came one night to this bare black rock. Set in the base of the light was a watertight bronze door. And in you went. And up. Yes, up and up and round and round, past the tanks of oil and the coils of rope, casks of wicks, racks of lanterns, sacks of spuds and cartons and cans, and up, and up and up, round and round. Over the light storeroom was the food storeroom, and over the food storeroom was the bunk room where the three of us slept, and over the bunk room was the living and cooking room, and over the living and cooking room was the light. She was a beauty, big steel and bronze baby with the sun gleaming through the glass walls all about, bouncing, blinding little beams off the big shining reflectors, glittering and refracting through her lenses, the whole gigantic bulk of her balanced like a ballerina on the glistening steel axle of her rotary mechanism. She was a sweetheart of a light. And at night, she'd lie there on the stone deck of the gallery with her revolving smoothly and quietly over your head, easing her bright white eye 360 degrees around the horizon. You'd lie there watching to see that the feeders kept working, that everything ran right. And it wouldn't be bad, the other two fellows snoring in their sacks two levels down. You'd smoke your pipe to kill the stink of the wind, and it wouldn't be bad. About those other two, Louis and Auguste. What a pair. Louis, he was head man, was a big fellow from the Basque country. Black beard, little hard black eyes, and a pair of arms that I tell you those arms were as big around as my legs. Yes, head man he was, and what word he let go was law. A silent fellow, and although I spent my first two weeks trying to strike up a real conversation... The most I could ever get out of him was... Jean, I took up this profession because I don't like people. They want to talk too much. It's quiet work, light tending. Let's keep it that way. You, you're getting to be as bad as Auguste. I thought maybe for once they send me somebody... Who that was Louis. When he accused me of becoming like Auguste, I quieted down. Because Auguste was the talkingest man I'd ever met. The talkingest and the ugliest. He was hunchbacked, stood four feet high, had red hair and big blue eyes. It seems he'd been an actor in Paris. Yes, indeed. Played in over 200 different productions, dear boy, at the Grand Guignol. Oh, but it was monstrous horrible, the way we used to scare the audiences. I, I was hated. Yes, yes, they used to throw things and hiss and bare their teeth at me. Finally, it got too bad. I couldn't stand it any longer. I gave up the theater. My nerves, you understand, yes? Gave it up completely. I really did. Couldn't stand it any longer. It all started one morning at 2.30. I was on watch, lying on the cool stone deck, pulling on my pipe, staring out at the blackness, the phosphorescent combers, and the big yellow stars, when out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something show up for a second, something the light had touched far off. I waited for her to come around again, and when she did, there it was. A three-man. 
disaster, a big one, about a half mile off and coming down out of the north-northwest, coming straight for us. You must understand, our light was where it was for a very good reason. Dangerous submerged reefs surrounded us and ships kept clear. But this one, this sailing vessel, was coming straight on. I went over to the gallery door and yelled, Louie! Louie! Couldn't understand it. I waited for the light to come around again. Wait Ship headed for the reefs! Are you right up? I had the glasses out now. I couldn't read her name, but I could see her quite plainly. All sails set, the foam creaming away under her bow, her beautiful lines. A Dutch ship, I guessed her. But why didn't she turn? Every time it passed, our light hit her with the glare of day. Ship? Where? North, northwest. The light will touch her in a moment. Can't they see? Look at her. She just keeps coming on. Yeah, the squareheads. What is it? What is it? Watch north, northwest. I know. I know what it is. Huh? What? The Dutchman. The flying Dutchman. We did a play about her once. Oh, what a performance. You ghastly galleon, hag-ridden, cursed ribbon. Must on Shut up, will you? She's loving. Yes. Sloppy way to come about. She's derelict, that's it. Derelict? Abandoned. The crew left her for some reason or other. But instead of sinking, she's gone on, running before every wind. She'll not run long. Not with these reefs to break her up. A beautiful ship. Now, why would men leave a beautiful ship like that? She didn't ram us, although we all expected it. But as we waited for the crash, she luffed again, caught some odd gust and went about. We watched her the rest of those black hours, healing and rocking, pushed and pulled by every stray wind, every freak current. Watched her until the dawn came, till the sea turned from black to a pearly gray. And on she came again, heading for us. We all had our glasses trained on her now. August, you can kill the light. Right, Chief? She doesn't look so good by daylight. Think she'll ground this time? What? I say, do you think she'll ground this time? Huh? This is impossible. Absolutely impossible. What? Here. Take my glasses. They're better than yours. All right. And what is it you... I had to focus and then my... breath froze in my throat. The decks were swarming with a dark brown carpet that looked like a gigantic fungus, but undulating. And on the masts and yards, the guys and all were hundreds, no thousands, no mi- I don't know, an endless number of enormous rats. See them? Yes, I see them. Now we know why she's derelict. Yes, now we know. What are you two doing? Here, give me a look. Yes, give him the glasses. Take a good look. Chatterbox, give you something to talk about. She's still heading for us. Yes. Uh, She's going to turn. She'd better turn soon. Suppose she doesn't. You mean suppose she piles up on the key? It's low tide. Yes. Yes, it is. Where's all the conversation, August, huh? Here, want the glasses again? Want another look? No. She's still coming on. Go away! Go away! Turn! Will you turn? I say, I pray you turn! She's cracking up. The rats! Look! 
on the water, like a carpet. They're swimming. Sure, they're swimming. Those are ship's rats. But they're swimming for the rocks. The door below. It's open. Come on. Down we went, racing down the stone stairs, taking them three and four at a time. Scared? You bet we were scared. August, you get the windows. Maybe they can climb. We don't know. Right, Chief. But hurry, hurry. Look. See them? No. Oh, yes, I do. Up at the other end of the rock. Look at the millions. They smell us. Here they come. Close the door. Let me. Oh, move. You move. Made it. Holy. That was close. One got in. Look, there. Get him. Watch it. He was as big as a tarot bigger. And his eyes were wild and red, his teeth long and sharp and yellow. He went for us, starving, ravenous, and we fought him, fought that one rat all over the room. It was, oh, believe me, I do not exaggerate, it was like fighting a panther. Got him. We better get aloft. We ran up the winding staircase. We passed the tiny windows of the various levels. And at every one was a thick, wriggling, screaming curtain of brown fur. I was ahead of Louie, and I dreaded each successive level. Suppose they had found a way in. Look at them. Will you look at them? It's a nightmare. Will you look at them? The air of the gallery was thick and fetid with the stink of them. The light was dim brown. Tilted through the crawling mass that swarmed over the glass all about us. I could not see the sky. Nothing, nothing but them. Their red eyes, their claws, their wriggling hairy snouts, and their teeth. The rats. They screamed and howled and threw themselves against the glass. They were starving. And we three, we stood very quietly. Oh, very, very quietly in the center of the classroom under our beautiful light. And we waited. What can we do? What can we do, Chief? Take it easy, old man. Take it easy. I can't. I just can't. It won't do any... It won't do any good to stand here and shake. Uh, that's right. Anybody want a cigarette? Yes. Yes, I have one. Thank you. Good boy. We've got to keep calm about this thing. Here's a light. <laughs> yeah, they don't light the fire, do they? <laughs> Guess not. <laughs> Give me another match. <laughs> you don't like that much, do you, I Don't wild them, August. <laughs> Give me some more matches. I'll strike them and strike them and strike them until they get scared and go away. <laughs> they won't go away. <laughs> not until... Any suggestions? Not until what? Not until they've been fed. You can take just so much horror and then you get used to it. And they were interesting to watch, you know. They couldn't understand the glass. They could see us and they could rush at us, but that thin, invisible barrier held them off, stopped them. From time to time, we caught a glimpse of the rocks below. More rats down there, swarming brown velvet in the bright tropical sunlight. And then the tide began to rise. 
only it'd drown some of them. Ships rats don't drown. <laughs> no, sir, you cannot drown one of them. They're all climbing up the tower. This bunch around us is getting thicker. Yeah. Say, what's the time? Quarter six. You've got first watch, John. Right. Uh, wake me at ten. I will. Come along, Argus. It was getting dark. One side of the room was lit a soft, filtered red. Sunset through the rats. Oh, very pretty. I set the wicks, checked my fuel, and then lit the lamps. It caught them. Lit them in their gigantic, wriggling web of pale, hairless bellies, twitching red tails, bright eyes. Then I started the rotary motor. Light drove them mad as she swung slowly and smoothly about. She blinded them in the fierce, stabbing bar of light, moving continually about, ever turning, ever touching, ever moving around and around, and they twitching and shuddering, eyes flaming when they were struck by the light. The bright light moving, and behind on the dark side of the room, so close, so close, I dared not turn my back, but you cannot help turning your back when you're in a room made of glass. On the dark side of the room, you could not see them, but only their eyes. Thousands of points of blank red light, blinking and twinkling like the stars of hell. Louie relieved me at ten, but I didn't get much sleep that night, and when I came up into the gallery early next morning... There stood August, his back to me. He was bowing to the rats, waving his arms and making a speech. I am going to play once again that magnificent role which made me the toast of the Paris theater. Prelate, the evil genius of the medieval underworld. I am he who did guide the dark soul of the Marechal into the nether parts. <laughs> Do not be frightened, little children. I will not hurt turning. you. I much. stood staring at him horror-struck, but he didn't notice me. The man had gone mad. He kept turning, telling his stories to all the rats, leaving no one out. August! August! Ah, another one. A latecomer. Take a seat on the aisle, dear patron. August, Move stop over it, there. Stop it. Let the gentleman be but seated. He didn't come, stop. Come. He went on, oh, bowing and scraping to the rats, his big blue eyes rolling and winking, his wild red hair waving about him. I grabbed him by the arms. Tapped his face. He looked at me like a child. And then his face screwed up. He looked as though he were about to cry. Go below, go on. Oh, very well then. Later, my dear audience, later. Matinee today. Sure, he was crazy. But I guess we all were. A few hours later, he came back up and caught Louie and me teasing the rats. Yes, sounds horrible. It was fun. We could get right up against the glass and make faces at them. It drove them crazy. They would scratch away trying to get at our eyes. Louie was even cuter about it. He'd pull a piece of bread out of his pocket and press it against the glass. The rats would scramble into a solid ball, biting each other, clustering like grapes. From time to time, a whole knot of them would slip and fall 110 feet to the surf below. Sharks. They're eating them. Yeah, the sharks are our friends. Here, here. 
I'll get another bunch together. <laughs> yeah, my beauties. That's it. Pile of kill each other. <laughs> there they go. Auguste joined in too. Oh, very ingenious Auguste. He learned that if he spread eagled himself against the glass, they'd bunch and bundle against his figure. Then he'd leap back. Look! My portrait in rats! It went on all day. And then I was lying in bed. It was about midnight. I was very tired and I was just beginning to fall off to sleep when I became conscious of a new sound. Couldn't figure it at first. I got up, lit the lamp, and went to the window. Even as I looked at it, I saw one of the panes begin to sag in. They had eaten the wood away. That's the first portion of Escape. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hey, fans of Classic Radio, Carl Amari here. I've created a free app just for you. Get 10 Classic Radio shows free in the Classic Radio Shows app. Plus, there are many more shows available for in-app purchase. You can get your free Classic Radio Shows app in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. The easiest way to get your free app is to log on to Hollywood360radio.com and scroll down to the Classic Radio Shows app banner and click either the Google link or the Apple link. Don't miss out. Get your free Classic Radio Shows app today. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now, let's get back to Escape. Louis, Louis, come huh? quick. What? What is it? They found a way in. I held the glass with my hand. Now they were all going crazy and assured of the success of this maneuver, we're all nibbling away at the wood. Louis ran below and then returned with a large sheet of tin. We spread it against the window and hammered it into place. Even as we did so, we felt the heavy body scudding against the other side as the window gave way. That ought to hold. If it doesn't, we're done for. Rats can't eat tin. No, they can't. What was that? I don't know. It came from below. The storeroom window. Oh. They're in. They're swarming up the stairs. Drop the trap. Right. Two of them got in. Let's go after them. We didn't have to go after them. They came at us. I leaped to one side and grabbed the marlin spike, swung, and smashed one in midair. No! I whirled to see Louie with the other. It had ripped his hand open and the blood was pouring all over the place. He held his hand aloft and kicked at the snarling rat. I stepped and swung and got him. My hand! He got my hand! That's both of them, Louie. I'll, I'll get you something to tie that up. Blood! Look at it, my... I'm blood. I'm bleeding. Now, don't worry about it, Louie. Here, look. I'll wind this kerchief around it. It'll be okay. Blood. There, now. It's not bad. Just the flesh. Then I became conscious of another new sound. They were gnawing their way through the wooden trap door. I watched the wood fascinated. Even as I did, it began to give way. And a bristling, whiskery nose showed through Louis, Louis, we've got to go up. Next level was the little quarters in the kitchen. I slammed the trap door there, too. But it, too, was wood. Uh, my blood. What are we going to do? Hell no. We'll be through this one in a moment. The gallery. The trap door in the gallery is metal. Good. Come on. We made it. We lay 
across the trapdoor, exhausted. While below us, the rats took over the entire tower. I could hear them howling and fighting over our food supply, our water, our leather. And all about us, the others screamed and glared in at us, swayed in a tangled mass, hypnotized by the ever-turning light. By morning, the air in the little room was horrible. Until now, we'd been getting air from the tower below. Now that was sealed off. And so was all our food and water. We lay exhausted, panting, waiting, waiting. The hours crawled on. I was almost dozing from fatigue when I saw a sight that brought me too fast. <laughs> Would you like to come in, my beauties? Would you? I hold the powers of life and death, and I can let you in, you know. August was standing by the glass, and in one hand he held a wrench. He was tapping the glass gently, not quite hard enough to break it. I eased myself to my feet and slowly, very slowly, tiptoed toward him. All I have to do is tap just a little harder. And, uh, uh... I found a coil of wire in the toolkit and I trussed him up, fastened him to a stanchion in the center of the room. Louis was of no help. He lay on his side looking at his bloody hand, weak and sick as a baby. So there I was, a lunatic and a coward for company, and all about watching our little drama, The Rats. The day dragged by. The supply boat wasn't due for another 12 days. I don't know what they could have done if they had come. We had only one way of summoning them, and that was to shoot off distress rockets, but the rockets were four floors below. And even if they'd been right there in the gallery, I couldn't have opened a window to fire them. That night, I tended the light, but its flame was devouring our oxygen. The following day, we lay, thirst-tormented, starving, waiting, waiting, and... The following night, I again tended the light, but the small supply of spare wicking we kept in the gallery had become exhausted, and quite suddenly, about midnight, the light went out. There was nothing I could do. Wicks were stored three levels below. Nothing I could do. Nothing. From time to time, I'd strike a match to see the clock... When I did, it lit up the million red eyes about us. All about us. Watching. Waiting. Below, it had grown quiet. They'd cleaned us out, and now they, too, were waiting. All waiting. And then, the rats, quite suddenly, were silent. And then I heard it. And then I saw... The sky and the stars. The rats were gone. I went to the glass. Out there on the water, a small freighter, a banana boat, showing a few lights, came softly and innocently at us. The light was out. They didn't know. I wanted to open the windows to call out to them, to warn them somehow, but I was afraid. What if, what if the rats were hiding from me, tricking me? So I waited. She grounded very softly on a reef not 
two hundred yards from the key, grounded so gently that the man playing the cornet, was he a passenger or crewman off watch, didn't even stop playing. They tried washing her back off. I could have told them to save their fuel. The tide was rising, would have floated her free. And I waited. That's all. That's the story. The sun came up and there wasn't a rat on the whole key. Every last one of that terrible army had left us, gone back to sea on their new ship. Auguste, insane asylum, he never recovered. And Louis? They took him into Cayenne where he died of blood poisoning from his bite. Oh, yes. Well, that's the whole of it. And if you'll excuse me now, I must go set my traps. No, no mouse traps. No rats in this lighthouse, I should say not. Life in the lights isn't bad. But sometimes when I see a strange vessel approaching, I get a little nervous, sure. Somewhere on the seas, there's a little banana boat without a crew. That is, without a human crew. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight we have presented Three Skeleton Key by George Tadeus, adapted for radio by James Poe and starring Vincent Price as Jean. Supporting Mr. Price were Harry Bartell as August and Jeff Corey as Louis. Sound effects on Three Skeleton Key, created by Cliff Thorsness and executed today by Mr. Thorsness, Gus Bays, and Jack Sixsmith, have been awarded the best of the year by Radio and Television Life magazine. Harry Essman was at the control panel and special music was arranged and conducted by Del Castillo. Next week, we escape with an exciting tale of temptation and death on the Gulf Coast of Florida as John and Gwen Bagney tell it in Danger at Matagumba. Goodbye, then, until the same time next week when once again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's Escape with Three Skeleton Key, starring Vincent Price, from March 17, 1950, is heard on CBS. Hope you enjoyed that. Before we tune into My Favorite Husband and Lisa's Favorite Classic Radio Series with Lucille Ball, I want to remind all of our listeners about a terrific new club that we have started that we would love, love, love for you to join. It's called the Classic Radio Club. Now, if you like classic radio and you enjoy this radio show, I encourage you to check out ClassicRadioClub.com. That's the website. You can go there. And when you join the Classic Radio Club, you'll get 10 classic radio shows on five CDs in a collector case with very copious liner notes, historical information, a $40 value for only $4.99. We'll ship it to your home, these five CDs with 10 shows. Then every month, you will get 10 more shows every single month, 10 more shows on five CDs with all the liner notes, and that will be $10 more, $14.99. Again, a $40 value. And you could cancel at any time. You'll get these shows sent to you that I'm going to hand-select every month the best of the best of the best of my library of over 100,000 shows. 
terrific quality, the biggest stars, the greatest radio shows. It is a terrific way to collect these shows and to enjoy these shows. And I promise you, you're going to learn things that you had no idea about these classic radio shows, and you're going to discover shows. That's the important thing, too. You're going to discover shows you never thought you enjoyed. Like, I would have never believed that I would love Boston Blackie until I heard one, and then I wanted more and more and more. And that's what will happen to you. You're going to love being a, a club member. So check it out. Go to ClassicRadioClub.com. ClassicRadioClub.com. All right. It's time for my favorite husband, Lucille Ball and Richard Denning. They starred as Liz and George Cooper on this series. This is the surprise Halloween party. Let's go back to October 28, 1949, part one of My Favorite Husband. It's time for My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball. Hello, everybody. Yes, it's the new gay family series starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning, brought to you by the Jello family of desserts. And now Lucille Ball with Richard Denning as Liz and George Cooper, two people who live together and like it. As we look in on the Coopers, it's late afternoon, and George Cooper is on his way home from the bank. He just got his car out of Miller's garage where he left it to be overhauled, and he's on his way to Sally's beauty parlor where he left his wife, Liz, to be overhauled. <laughs> he, uh, he pulls to a stop by an attractive girl standing on the corner. Going my way, baby? Oh, hi, George. Oh, oh, I, I didn't know it was you, Liz. Oh, George, you've pulled that same corny gag every time you picked me up for the last ten years. <laughs> well, it always gets a rise out of you. Well, not today. Hey, come on, get in. Well, I'm trying. What are you doing, Liz? You can't open the door with your elbows. Use your hands. I can't. My nail polish isn't dry. <laughs> oh, I can't do it. Well, you're certainly being a big help. Well, I'm thinking. Uh, try using your teeth. Oh, skip it. You just drive on home and I'll run along behind you. A breeze will dry my polish. Oh, I'm just kidding you, honey. Here, I'll open the door. Well, thank you. You know, George... Before we were married, you would have leaped out of the car, sprinted around to the other side, and swung open the door for me. Well, that was ten years ago. If I did that today, I'd have a heart attack. <laughs> if you did that today, I'd have a heart attack. Well, you're in a good mood. Oh, I'm sorry, George, but while I was in the beauty parlor, Sally told me some very disturbing news. <gasps> There's a strike in the henna factory. <laughs> No, it was really serious. Now, who do you think is giving a party and hasn't invited us? Elsa Maxwell? Oh, if you're going to be smart, Alecky, I won't tell you. <laughs> okay. I mean it. I won't tell you. No, okay by me. Begging will get you nowhere. <laughs> well, all right, I'll tell you. The Atterberries are having a costume party Halloween night, and they didn't invite us. What? It's true, so help me. Oh, I don't believe it. Who, who told you a thing like that? Sally, my beauty operator. Oh, well, I might have known. How does Sally find out everything? I don't know. I think she has a wire recorder hidden in the hairdryer. <laughs> but she's always right. Oh, ridiculous. What reason would the Atterberries have for not inviting us to their party? Well, I thought you might know. Is everything all right at the bank? Well, certainly. Oh, this doesn't make sense. We, 
Uh, we probably just haven't received our invitation yet. It'll be there in the morning mail. Well, if it isn't, I know what I'm going to do. What? I'm going to RSVP without being A-S-K-E-D. <laughs> Liz, come and eat breakfast and stop looking for the mailman. You're pushing your nose all out of shape against the window. No, I'm not, George. Um, no, I'm not, George. Why doesn't that mailman come? Well, maybe because it's only 8 o'clock in the morning. But Mr. Negley's usually here by this... Oh, I know the answer. It's Katie's day off. He starts at the other end of the route when she's not here to give him his breakfast coffee. <laughs> Smart operator. Say, how's Katie doing with him? Making any headway? Oh, yes. She's gotten him to the lap-sitting stage. No. Yep. He finally agreed to sit on her lap. <laughs> he sits on her lap? Well, he's so small, George. She'd squash him. <laughs> oh, darn it. Where is he? This is our last chance. If that invitation doesn't come this morning, we'll know the Atterbury's deliberately snubbed us. Look, Liz, if the Atterbury's want to give a party and not ask us, it's their business. They, they probably have a very good reason. There couldn't be any good reason for not asking us. We're their closest friends. They couldn't do a thing like that to us. Well, we've given parties without asking them. That was different. I had a very good reason. <laughs> All right, I can't argue with that kind of feminine logic. Anyway, you, you only have a beauty operator's rumor that they're giving a party at all. Oh, no. No, I checked on it. I had Katie call the Atterbury's maid last night, and they are having a party. Well, I don't understand it. Oh, Mr. Wood's out raking his lawn. I'm going out and ask him if he's seen Mr. Negley. Yeah, but your breakfast is getting cold. Well, I'm not hungry. Hello, Mr. Wood. Oh, morning, Mrs. Cooper. Mr. Wood, have you seen the mailman? No, no, and I've been out here an hour. An hour? Oh, yes, I like to be out of the house while my wife serves breakfast to our 11 children. <laughs> oh, that must be quite a sight. It's like feeding time at the zoo. <laughs> oh, you're just saying that I'll bet they're perfect little angels Mrs. Cooper Have you ever been in on an 11-way fight With breakfast foods? <laughs> oh, now, Mr. Wood You don't mean that they throw food All I can tell you is that Our dining room is decorated An early American oatmeal <laughs> You want to come in and see for yourself? Yes, I'd love to you're always telling me wild stories about your family. Oh, oh, there's Mr. Negley down at the corner. I'll see you later, Mr. Wood. Goodbye, Mrs. Cooper. Oh, Mr. Negley! Oh, Mr. Negley, am I glad to see you. Really? <laughs> well, I, I always look forward to seeing you, too. Oh. Well, thank you. May I have our mail, please? Is Katie home? No. May I have our mail, please? You know, Mrs. Cooper... I like Katie. Mm. <laughs> Someday, if things go well, maybe she'll let me put my stamp on her envelope. Uh, Mr. Negley, will you give me our mail, I'd please? I'd love to change her zone number to mine. <laughs> but she's really too good for me. She's first-class matter. Yes, could I have... She's better than that. She's air mail special delivery. Well, I'm sure she is. Registered. Look, <laughs> Mr. Negley, someday I hope you and Katie settle down and raise a lot of little postcards. But right now, will you please give me our mail? Oh, yes, I have a letter for you here somewhere. Oh, here it is. I'll take it. Oh. Well, you see, Grabby? <laughs> You've only got half of it. It, it serves you right. 
Well, this might, this might be it. Let's see. You are cordially invited. Quick, what does the other half say? To bring your car home for service. Uh, <laughs> great. Isn't there another letter for us? No, that's all. Maybe you made a mistake. Please. <laughs> there isn't a man in postal service who sorts his mail more carefully than Harrison Q. Negley. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Well, well, let me take a look. Maybe it's stuck down there someplace. Take your hands off my mailbag! Mr. Negley, this is more important than you think! You're tampering with the U.S. mail! Oh! Now look what you've done. I'm all unsorted. <laughs> and heaven knows what you've done to my fragile. <laughs> oh, why didn't I stay in possible pose? Oh, I'm awfully sorry, Mr. Negley. I thought, sure, I'd get a letter from Mrs. Atterbury. Here, I'll help you sort. No, no, just leave me alone. And if you're talking about Mrs. Atterbury's party, I delivered those invitations last week, and you didn't get one, and I'm glad. Do you hear me? Glad? Well, Rudolph, curiosity is about to kill a cat. Guess who just called on the phone? Who, Lotus Bud? <laughs> Liz Cooper. She and George are down at the corner drugstore and they want to drop by. Oh, Iris, I wanted to watch television. Well, you can't. They're coming over. You mean I have to miss Hopalong Cassidy? <laughs> this may be the night he gets killed. <laughs> I guarantee he won't. Now, they'll be here any minute. Help me pick up the papers on the floor. And remember, not a word about the Halloween party. Well, don't worry about me. I'm not the blabbermouth in this family. <laughs> Well, I can't wait to see their faces when they find out we're giving a surprise Halloween party for them. Yeah, and at their house. <laughs> yeah, does everyone know what to do? Oh, sure. We're meeting at Cooper's side door at 8.30 and sneaking in through the kitchen. And then when they... There they are. Now, remember, don't even mention Halloween. Liz girl, George boy. Hi, Iris. George boy, Liz girl. Hi, folks. <laughs> well, come in, come in. Well, I hope you don't mind that we came over without an invitation. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> What's new, Liz? Oh, nothing. What's new with you? Nothing. Oh. <laughs> How about you, Rudolph? Rudolph. Yes, hop along. Oh. I mean, uh, no, no, nothing new with me. Uh, nothing new with me either. Nobody asked you. That's the first portion of My Favorite Husband. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first five-CD collection of 10 classic radio shows, regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on five CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality 
and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five CD collection with ten of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott and Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, next time here on Hollywood 360, it's the conclusion to My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball. Then, a good mystery on Murder at Midnight called Death's Goblet from 1946. You won't want to miss it. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.